How many of you remember, probably in the 1970s into the 80s, this unique, wonderful toy that they had for us to play with called yard darts? These yard darts were these big circles that you'd put on the ground, and you would stand a certain distance back, and the goal was that you would throw the dart and it would land in the circle. Now, they were like bigger than these dartboard darts. They were pretty significant in size, and you would throw them up and they would come down, hopefully inside the circle. You know, they should have had something that said like, you know, 30 and over for age groups. So I'm probably about six. The youngest of the crew that's out there playing, and there's some who may be reaching 12, as it was out in the day. And our goal was not really to, well, it was to get in there, but it was a part of, to throw it as high as you possibly could. And to also hit in the circle. And so as I'm sitting there watching them play and If you ever get around yard darts, don't ever take your eyes off the darts. He throws the dart up, and I'm just talking to my buddy over here, and they yell at me, Gary, move! And so I did. I moved from like, we weren't living in apartments, one one, um, air conditioning unit to the next. So I moved. And as I sat down, that yard dart went, boom! I still have the scar right here today from this yard dart. So I'm six years old. What do you think that I do as soon as the yard dart hits me and blood is spurting everywhere? I ran home. I went home. It was the place that I knew that I could probably be the safest. The place that I knew that someone would care for me. The place that I knew that someone would try to bring about some sense of healing. Now, I know not all of us would have thought that's the kind of home life that you had, but it was, and I think that's important to understand this morning as we look at some of the scriptures that are here, that home is often just the the safest place. In this morning's passage of scripture, which is Romans chapter 8, beginning with the 14th verse, uh, before I just, I'll give you time to look it up, but before I start reading, I'm going to go back, because this is the second week, and take back your life series, and the way we set it up last week is, and I'll ask this question, how many of you, raise your hand, how many of you today are 100% content 100% of the time? Not a one. That means you actually listen to the words, because sometimes people just raise hands because I said raise hands. 100% content 100% of the time. No, there are so many reasons not to be content. We we started this series talking about it, about all the things in life that really kind of upset us today. So many things. I mean, literally, we are like what, last year, we got two services in March, and all of a sudden, the world changed. And we sat in our homes for how many weeks or months, and we didn't go out, and things began to change, and that is not... um, the way that we want to live, and we began to wonder if COVID-19 will ever end, and by the way, the numbers look great right now in terms of going down and the percentages of people who are infected, vaccines and everything, it seems to be helping, that's good. 
But then we sit down, and then you're at home, and all of a sudden, what do you do? I mean, you may be reading, you may be doing yard work, but eventually somehow the TV might come on, and then the news comes on, and it is just disgusting to watch it and over and over and all these things. In the midst of all, we wind up this political polarization where people are on such opposite sides that they hate the other side. There's no way to even talk to them because they're such heinous people. This discontent that's being driven by media, that's been driven by people who want you on their side to destroy the other side. It's a part of what we're talking about. This, this idea that there would be this economic destruction that would occur, and, and it has been impactful, but it, it's all out there. That there would be no easy solutions. And besides those things, as I've talked about, you know, um, the world begins to, to, to decide that, that, you know, that, that drugs are not so bad and that we're going to start legalizing all kinds. And in fact, there are different things that are happening. I'm not going to talk about the legalization of it. I'm going to talk about this, that the, the pain that, that drug use is causing in families and the difficulties, and it's just an epidemic that's all over the place, and, and, and it's just destroying families for people pursuing. It's just so many things. It seems that that the moral standard that people would live by, that we would treat each other kindly, that that all people were important seems to be falling away and the only people that's important is me and what I want. That seems to be the, the, the cognizant idea among people today. It seems that marriage is something that just comes and goes. It, it might be right for you. It might not. Hey, give it a test try, and if it doesn't work out, you know, go, go to the next one. It's, it's just things like that. It seems like that every time that we get measured against the world, that our schools seem to be failing while other schools, other places are working all right. I'm just, yeah, I could go on, couldn't I? There's a whole lot of reason to be discontented. And you could come up with your own if I began to have a microphone here. We could just spend all day on it. Because frustration is a part of life. And it can be so overwhelming at times. If you don't hear another thing that I say this morning, I'm going to sum up right here in this next paragraph, next few sentences, all that you really need to hear. The discontent is a way that we were always being drawn home. What in the world are you talking about, Gary? It is a way that we're always being drawn drawn home to God. Because we know something is not right. And we long deep inside of us for it to be made right. It's what we want. It's what we desire. It's innate in us. We see natural disasters in creation. Not just man-made stuff. And humanity is... Is broken, and what we hear the groaning of all things to be made right. The groaning, oh, I wish things were better, how I wish and how I want. And there is only one solution. The Holy Spirit is guiding us home, but is also urging us to do what we can now to make things good as possible during this groaning of us and the world. Open your scriptures to Romans chapter 8, beginning in the 14th verse this morning. Why don't you stand with me as we read, beginning in that 14th verse. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness 
with our spirit and we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits for its revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we, also, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, and hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly await for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, he who searches the hearts knows the minds of the Spirit. It is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. May the Lord add his blessing to his word. And some of you probably saw, how in the world could you leave verse 28 off? Well, you just read that and study on on your own. This is so strange to think that this frustration, this brokenness is, is a part of what we have to live with and it's just hard. But I think that in this passage of scripture there's a whole lot to what we need to understand about our situation and where it's going. And sometimes how we think that we can control or not control things, we need to look at some things here. I think that the first thing is there is a great solid base for hope that is found in this scripture. That hope that things do get better. The hope that their things can be made right. That all things will be brought into order. God promises in this scripture that he will redeem creation. It will not always be like this. It will not always be like this. And it doesn't matter how long you've been experiencing it and going through it. It will not Always be like this, so says our God. Sounds great. It sounds great. God is going to redeem everything and make it all right. That's great. I love the idea. But if God's going to bring redemption to creation someday, why doesn't he do it right now? Why doesn't he just do it, come in and just do it right this moment? And Paul hints at the answer, and he says that the creation waits in eager expectation of the children of God to be revealed. He says that creation was subjected to frustration, and not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. The creation waits for the children of God. Why? A redeemed creation, creation, all that we see, all that we live, is not a suitable home 
for an unredeemed people. Think about it. How could the world be free of frustration if it were filled with human-caused frustration where there's uh, greed and, 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 and war and, and bullying and all kinds of things? So much frustration that exists upon this earth is often human-caused. Well then, what about the frustrations that are not human-caused? Natural disasters, pandemics, good gracious pandemics, hurricanes and earthquakes. Those are all troubles that are from natural causes. Cancer, disease, death. Paul says something there that's kind of strange to me. And he says that in verse 19, it was subjected to the frustration. The creation was subjected to the creation. By the will of the one who subjected it. (laughs) Who subjected creation to frustration? Who did that? Was it God? Was it some other force that was outside of God? Well, the thing is, Paul doesn't really get into it. He doesn't really answer that question. But he implies that if God allows this frustration, if this thing occurs in this physical world that we live in, if it happens, what's the purpose of it? And it says, in hope... Of all creation, including God's children, will be redeemed and brought into glorious freedom for the children of God. So frustration has a purpose. It kind of relates to last week. We talked about the diversions, the detours of life. And it says that, hey, that there's a purpose for this. That it doesn't just happen just to be destructful to all people. There is a purpose for it. Because, and this is, this is I think this is so, so keen right here. That frustration with life can be very healthy. It gives us a holy discontent. A vision for something better. C.S. Lewis writes it this way, and I think this is a good way to look at it. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures. Fooling about with drink and sex and ambition with infinite joy when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. We get satisfied with our own version of what things should be. And guess what? It's not our own version of what things should be. It's God's version. And God is saying that it is not right. And I've instilled my image in you. And you need to see that it's not right. That there is something better. That there is something beyond the way that you're living. Frustration with the world makes us long for a new home. To go home to the place that we were originally designed to live until it was broken by sin. That there is a place that we want to go home where everything is right. And when the darts of the earth fall upon our hand and we know where to go, i got to go home because it will be made right there. I will be cared for there. Someone has my best interest there. A new creation that will exist even after This creation, a glorious creation that's liberated from decay where these things do not happen and where we're free to be all that God intends us to be. Remembering that frustration can be healthy. Think about this. Imperfect love makes us long for perfect love. 
being financially unstable and insecure makes us long for true security that only God can provide. When we see crime and we see, when we see injustice, it helps us that we would desire that things would be better for righteousness sake, that real justice would occur. I watched something on the courts in America today and it was talking about does justice really exist in the courts and they brought up some real reasons that I thought, oh my goodness, justice is not always served there because we're not perfect. It's an attempt to do things right, but man, it gets frustrated and confusing. Our frail bodies that are broken, they remind us that God has something better for us. Because Paul even says it in verse 23, we eagerly await for the redemption of our bodies. This plan that he's talking about right away and from the very beginning is that there's a a hope that this is not it. That things are better. That there is a better thing that we're supposed to live and how we're supposed to live and how where we're supposed to go when it's all over. But God's plan and promise gives us hope. But it also says about this adoption business. And think about this. Romans 8.23 says, Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly, grown as we eagerly await for our adoption to the sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Sonship, in very specific as opposed to daughtership, if you will, because the word is a technical term that describes the rights and the privileges of a male heir in this time. God gives us the rights. He gives us the privileges as if we were legal heirs. How do we get that status? God adopts us. He says that you get everything. That's why it's not because of what you do, don't do, but God, but He accepts you and says, now I want to make you have access to the way things are supposed to be. Some people say, well, we're all God's children. Since God created all of humanity, But Paul says something different there. He says, however, in in Romans 8, 14, 17, he says, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. Again, rather, the Spirit you receive brought brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. Now, if we're children, and then we are heirs, heirs in God, and co-heirs with Christ, then we'll share in his sufferings in order that we might be able to share in his glory. And as spiritual children, we share in the rights and privileges of God and his only son, Jesus. We're not slaves we're not fearful. We don't run around thinking, oh my goodness, this is, oh, the, the, the world is coming because we know ultimately that our God will take care of us, that we can have a place to go when the darts fall on us. Because they will fall. And they do hurt. And to think that we would just run around, I think of myself as a six-year-old, and I like to think I probably was an older six-year-old than most people. But I think of myself, if I would just sat there and just kind of looked at it and Thought, who would have taken to think I would be on my own? It's so disturbing to me. But to know that I had a place to go that would always care for me, that is what you and I receive when we believers of God and we trust in God, that we're not on our own, that someone does care, and that we can go, and that there is some service to, 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 to be given in terms of God saying, I want what's best for you. But it's interesting 
that Paul says that you are God's children. But in verse 23, he says this, that we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship. That we're waiting. How can we be adopted but also waiting? What is going on here? To this redemption of our bodies. Is it the present adoption or is it the future adoption? What is he talking about? I have some friends and I think this might be helpful for us. I don't know that anybody in here has experienced it. But I have some friends who have adopted children from China. And they've gone over and they spend a week or whatever. Actually, I think it was two weeks. They go over there and they work it all out. And that child cannot leave China until all the adoption papers are filled. All, and they'll have a little ceremony and, the, and, the, and they fill it out. And then all of a sudden, now that child legally belongs to my friends. But it doesn't end there, does it? You see, they're now in their custody. But guess what they did? They got on a plane and they flew back home where then they would begin to have a little different story. So they were preparing for home. This is a short window that they're in. It's two weeks. And all of a sudden they get home and now things are beginning to be made right. It's the same thing. God has adopted. The papers have been signed and said, you are mine and you have a duty to do in this world, but you still are going to get home with me and it's not done yet. And so we're eagerly awaiting, even though we have a thing to do now. There's a place to live now. God is still saying, I'm calling you home and come with me. I've adopted you. It's just a matter of time before we can get there. Just a matter of time. God adopted us as children when we accept Jesus and we receive that sonship. We can have hope because God has a plan. He has a purpose that he's adopted us. But I think this is something special too that's found in here. This Holy Spirit that that he's talking about here gives us a taste of the glorious future with God. It's just a taste. It's It's not complete. It's just a little bit of it. We have the first fruits, it says. Just the beginning. It's not the entirety. It's just the beginning when we get to have a relationship with God. Because when we get home, it's going to be great. For even when we groan and eagerly wait for the full redemption of our bodies, and when our redemption is complete, we will have the perfect fellowship with God. We will be secure in our relationships of His adopted children. We will trust and we will obey with our minds and bodies and we'll be totally aligned with His will. But we aren't there yet. We are not there yet. I heard the testimonies, and I love the testimonies of God's children who've come and been, been saved gloriously, but also sanctified. But good gracious, if sanctification, what I've seen in many people's life, is all that there is to it, I don't want any part of it. There is a whole lot more to it. It is not complete. You may be fully surrendered, and you may be giving up every day, and you may have the gloriousness of God and the holiest of saints that you've ever seen upon this earth. It's wonderful. It's just a taste. It's not perfect. Just a taste. One of the most practical ways for us to get a taste of this is through prayer. We talked about it last Sunday night at my house, and, and often we talk about prayers that's constantly talking to God, but I've said it over and over, prayer is often a way for us to align with God. 
It's not just say, God, give me and do this and all these things, but God, help me to see the way the world is and help me to know how I should interact and all of these things. That is a vast difference than saying, give me, give me, give me. You're my servant and you do all that I want and you just help me and make my life much easier. This Holy Spirit helps us to learn something, that it's not all about me and it's not all about you. This is about God and the true, we're, as C.S. Lewis, we're eating mud pies. Lord, help my mud pie taste better. Lord, make the mud pie the right consistency. Give me the right water, Lord, that my mud pie might be perfect. God, give me something that's not red clay, but give me something else a little. And, that, and that's the kind of prayers that we often offer. When God says, mud pies, stop praying for mud pies. There is a whole glorious redemption. And if you could just grab a hold of this, I have a, as, as C.S. Lewis, I have a cruise at sea where you can have everything you want. Start learning to what I'm looking, showing, trying to show you and stop trying to do what you think brings satisfaction. Man, what kind of mud pie are you making today? Because I've made a few myself. And then eventually throw them away when I realize that's just disgusting. But somehow the world tells us it's wonderful. It says, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the minds of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. You know, I I like to think that when we get to heaven, we don't have to pray anymore. That it's all connected, and whether we're directly speaking to God face to face, or or whether it's uh, this, I don't want to say mind mail, but this idea that we we constantly communicate as though it's is you and I talking back together. I, I I don't I don't know, because sometimes on this earth, I sit and I wonder, does God hear me? And I struggle to understand sometimes when God answers. Sometimes I believe that our faith is weak. Our communication is weak. Sometimes, and I have experienced it even with our staff here, sometimes we say, I don't even know what to pray or how to pray. Because we get frustrated and we can't figure it out. How do we pray about our fears? How do we pray about our failures? How do we pray about the frustration that we see each and every day that we've prayed for before and it's still sitting in front of us? How do we pray about those things? And Paul says in verse 26 that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit intercedes for us with groans that cannot be expressed. And I love that. Not just because the Spirit helps us, but because the Holy Spirit feels our pain. And it groans with us. And it hurts with us. And it knows, oh, it's not right. I know it's not right. And I want things to be better. And so what it instills in us is, this is not as good as it gets. That there is a place that I want you to be together, and I want you to have as much of home as you possibly can right where you are. But don't ever forget where home is. Don't ever forget that you're connected to home. And when the connection is broken to home, it is a mud pie. Mm. Thank God that He intercedes and, and, and hears us and crones, cries for us as we are crying for ourselves. And when we pray in the Spirit, we don't have to worry about finding the right words. Or not saying something stupid. The Spirit translates as much as, as the Spirit translate as much, translates 
as much for us as for our God. Our anger, our frustration. Even at those who are foolish or self-centered can be conformed to God's will if we'll just open ourselves to it. God knows our hearts. He knows every single person here this morning. He knows your hearts. And even you hear no word that is spoken here this morning. I believe that God can speak and give you something that man cannot possibly give. And I believe that it unfolds, unfolds inside of your life that there is this different way to live that God has called us to. Something that is like home. How do we deal with the frustration in the world? How do we deal with frustration with people? Or frustration with humanity? Frustration with our circumstances? How do we face the frustration with ourselves? When our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. There is no other place to go. I heard the words of a lady on a couple Wednesday nights ago. And she spoke about someone who was successful in life, had made millions, had lost millions, had made their life really kind of perfect and said, I don't need God. I've been able to take care of all of myself and all my things. And I thought about that. It's been resonating in me. And I thought, what kind of answer do you give? Because they think their life is perfect. And I think about if the spouse dies or a child dies or things happen in their life and you quickly realize it's not quite perfect. And I go back to thinking, mud pies. Show me your teeth. Let me see if you're eating mud. God doesn't want you to eat mud. God doesn't want you to be frustrated. And he has given his son. Hope is built on God's plan of redemption. Our identity as God's children. The first fruits of the spirit. He's instilled in you. A part of home. He wants you to set up that home wherever you are. To have that connection where you would make that home. As much as home. In fact there's a prayer that says. I will be done. On earth. As it is in heaven. So we do our work. We do all the things, knowing that frustrations will occur. And we can never make this home the same as that home. But doggone it, we're going to try as hard as we can. And when it doesn't work, and when God has done all that he can, and everything we got, we recognize this is not as good as it gets. There is a home, and it is calling me, and I cannot wait to go where everything will be made right. Heaven is here. But heaven is also a place. Begin living in that. Do not be caught up with the frustrations and stop eating mud pies. Let's set up home here and let's go home together. God, help us this morning, Lord, to take back our life and not let the world frustrate us. God, the way that, that it ultimately loves to do. 
where we can find no contentment, God, but help us find the contentment not in all those things around us, God, but the renewal that you have planned for all of humanity, all of creation, God. Let us listen to those things that bring discontent, that it might draw us back to you where we desire that perfect love, where we might be turned into that perfect love, where we desire, God, complete wholeness that really only exists in a glorified body in heaven. God, take our eyes off of this world. Help us to be effective in it. But God, keep our eyes on you, the God of all creation, and help us to live planning to be part of all creation for all eternity and not just for this limited life that we live. Deliver us from this way of thinking, God. And may your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. In the wonderful, powerful name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. You are dismissed.